Happy Friday, everybody. This is Tom Dotan, a reporter at The Information, and this is The Information's 411. We've got a very special episode for you this week. Corey has a great story about Katerra. That's a construction company that promised more than it could deliver. It's a classic SoftBank-fueled goof-up, Corey's specialty. But it's a special episode also because, and I say this with sadness and pride, that it is my last. I'm moving on to a new gig after today, which means I'll have to leave the show behind. So there's sadness because I've loved making the show for the past five years. We started it one day on a whim. I pitched it to Jessica Lesson, our founder, and she gave it the green light, and what began as a casual idea has now become a thing that's run for five plus years. It's gotten better. Please do not listen to the first episode unless you happen to have a thing for reverb. And it's gotten bigger. We've interviewed authors, CEOs, celebrities, and I hope that we've always given you insights on the tech world and how it's changed so much of our lives. So leaving all of that behind is the sad part. But I'm also proud because the show is in good hands and will continue to go on basically unchanged. Corey, Wendy, and our producer Ariella Markowitz have been doing a great job keeping things running and will do so for as long as you guys keep listening. And for me, seeing something that you made get taken up by others, made better, and exist long beyond a little passion project is maybe the greatest outcome I ever could have hoped for. So to all you Information 411 listeners, thanks for being listeners. Keep being listeners and stay in touch. Since he was five years old, Brian Potter knew he wanted to be a structural engineer. Maybe you don't make the best decisions uh, about your future prospects when you're five years old. He went to school at Georgia Tech, then worked for a few different construction and design firms. Potter handled all kinds of projects, apartment buildings, parking garages, schools and hotels. And as he worked, he thought about how to improve things. He's a tinkerer. He wanted to build digital tools to automate some of his work. For a lot of it is just, you know, well, I'm very young, I'm just starting out, I'm, I don't know enough to know why maybe this isn't done sort of a certain way. As, as I got more experience, some things I learned why they were and some things still didn't, you know, still didn't make sense to me. The construction industry has been notoriously slow to adopt new technologies. The tech era that has given us instant e-commerce, on-demand taxis, and even virtual reality hasn't really afforded us faster ways to build. That's a big problem in the U.S., as fewer people decide to work in construction and the cost to build housing soars. In 2018, Potter went to work for a company promising to fix all that, Katerra, a tech-driven construction startup that planned to create efficiencies by building big portions of apartment buildings inside factories. Think prefabricated housing, but on steroids. And it really was, you know, a dream job, and it was actually a really huge step up for me. When Potter went to work at Katerra, The startup had just raised nearly a billion dollars from the world's biggest tech investor, SoftBank. It was the largest infusion of venture capital for a startup trying to upend the construction industry. You know, at the time, I kind of thought, this is exactly what it needs to be done, and it looks like what you imagine the future of construction to look like. Instead, Katerra became the latest startup disaster. A company that nearly went bankrupt, laid off hundreds of employees, and blew through $2 billion of venture capital. Those struggles raise the question, Can there still be a tech revolution in construction? This is Wendy Pollack, a senior editor of The Information, here with reporter Corey Weinberg. Hey, Corey. Hello. So, Corey, we've been talking a lot about Katerra and the construction industry lately as you reported a big investigative story. 
That's right. Katera has been a bit of an obsession for me lately. Uh, I published a story a couple weeks ago about the company's near bankruptcy, intentional financial misstatements, an SEC review, and general tumult in the board and in the executive suite. The startup gone wrong is its own famous genre of story, and we do a fair bit of it. But it's not just disaster theater. We do it to illuminate how entrepreneurs are actually trying to innovate. So today, we wanted to spend more time trying to get at the idea behind Katera and what it tells us about Silicon Valley. We'll tell that story after this short break. Hey, everybody, it's Tom. So earlier in March, we hosted a live video summit in partnership with Singapore, passion made possible. We spoke with industry leaders and enterprise software about international strategy, how they've expanded globally, and what tactical steps they took in doing so. Here's David Bazer, an executive at the ride-hailing company Grab, speaking at that event about what it takes for a tech company to succeed in Southeast Asia. You need to have people who think Southeast Asia is their only number one focus, and that's all they do, and they really care about Southeast Asia, and those people need to be empowered organizationally to drive systemic change, not just through, say, maybe operations or sales, but also the product, um, also the core, the core experiences you offer consumers. And on March 23rd, our next event, we'll be discussing the future of food with Josh Tetrick, the co-founder and CEO of Just and Uma Valetti, and the co-founder and CEO of Memphis Meats. They think your meat will be made out of cells and your eggs will be made out of plants. Huh. You can find details about this at theinformation.com events. And thanks again to our partner, Singapore. Passion made possible. First, let's talk about Katera's original sin, hubris. Huh, tell me more. Well, for starters, Katera wanted to reinvent construction, right? But it was led by a man without any experience in it. Katera's co-founder was Michael Marks, and 20 years ago, he ran Flextronics, which really pioneered this idea of companies outsourcing a lot of their electronics manufacturing. And in 2017, he started talking more about his next act, Katera. And he talked a big game including to Andy Ball, who worked in the construction industry for several decades and previously ran the Bay Area construction firm Webcore. Andy wanted to know about Katera's big plans. I talked to Michael Marks and he said, you know, I've, I've always made money. I'm always going to make money. And, uh, and, that's, and that's the way it is. I went to Katera's Menlo Park headquarters in 2017 to talk to Marx. The company was building factories and starting dozens of apartment construction projects. And Marx said they'd be making money soon, which was unusual even for startups building smartphone apps. I was pretty surprised. We have a plan to be solidly profitable in two nights. That, that blows my mind. <laughs> I, uh, I guess help me understand the economics. Because I've been running businesses all my life, and I just, I'm just not one of those guys who thinks that, that sure. growth for growth's sake. And he kind of had me convinced. He made it sound like they had everything sewn up. He thought the current construction process was kind of ridiculous. The core problem with the construction industry today, Marx described, was how fragmented it was. The developer owns the land and then hires an architect and a general contractor. The general contractor hires teams of subcontractors, like electricians, plumbers, and wood framers. And everyone negotiates a cut. And then communication starts to lag, and prices go up. 
Mark said he would go down to a construction site in California and see this problem firsthand. And the guy is every morning he has his subs who are on site in his in his trailer. And they Mark said the guy who ran the construction site would complain that his guys couldn't install the electricity where the drawing said they should because the plumber had already put the plumbing there. It's insanity. Chip manufacturing like Nvidia, now, now that's hard, Mark's thought. Construction, not so much. He can fix the system. So, as you reported, Kutera essentially would be the contractor, the architect, the subcontractor, all in one. And the plan was to move work that used to happen on a construction site into a factory. Right. It, it was a lot. Corey, I remember you're coming to me a year after you talked to Marx and saying, things aren't going so well at Kutera. Yeah, it wasn't long before it became pretty clear that Katera and Michael Marx's vision had some pretty big holes. Maybe there was a reason why construction was hard to change. First, I found out that there were problems at the company's factory near Phoenix, Arizona. Most of the machinery installed in Katera's factory required several people to operate it manually, rather than relying on automation. That put the company behind schedule on how many wall panels it could produce each day. One former manager told me back then, every day is a fire drill. So growing pains or something more? Yeah, it, it was definitely something more. It, it pointed at larger problems. It comes back to the fact that leadership came from the tech and electronics industry, not construction. So they struggled to actually fix problems as they cropped up. Of the executive team, there's, uh, of the core executive team, one comes from construction. And I feel sorry for him every day. So that was Fritz Wolf, a Katera co-founder, speaking about the company at an industry event in 2018. Wolf ran a large apartment development company and had been business partners with Michael Marx for years. Wolf's company handed a ton of business to Katera, dozens of projects that Katera would build. But nearly all of them were way over budget and behind schedule. Well, Katera lost hundreds of millions of dollars on some of its earliest projects. Uh, $200 million of losses just on project costs alone in 2018. In other words, not profitable at all. Uh, no. One of the company's investors told me, real estate is expensive if you're bad at it. Katera was very bad at it. So the company wanted to reinvent construction, but didn't have a basic grip on whom to hire, how to do accounting for projects, and some other really basic stuff. And employees like Brian Potter, who we heard in the beginning, realized it was becoming a problem. It was definitely a very gradual thing where like you're in there and you're working on these products and you, you know, you have all these really amazing engineers. I mean, really trying really hard to sort of you know, figure this out and how do we arrange this building in the most efficient way um, and, and, you know, things like that. And then just, you know, you keep, you know, you keep throwing resources at it and they come, we keep coming back and, and pricing it and it's just not inexpensive enough. Katera kept going over budget, kept upsetting customers. And the reason I had gotten in touch with Potter a couple months ago was because he had actually started a newsletter about construction innovation and the history of it. It's, it's really interesting. He's written about how time after time, companies or governments have made similar mistakes as Katera. There were hundreds of attempts at large-scale building prefabrication, particularly around or after World War II. You know, there was a, a, a large... 
home company in the in the 40s called the Lustron Home, which had an enormous factory that I think could build a hundred houses a day. That went out of business after a few years. And Potter identified some similar problems behind many of these failures. Like what? For one, it's just really expensive to transport large building components from factories to building sites. Like last month on Twitter, I saw a lot of photos of an old Victorian house in San Francisco on wheels, and it was getting moved to a new piece of land. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand on the sidewalk. There's a house coming down the street. Oh yeah, I remember that. It kind of looked like a Thanksgiving Day parade minus the marching bands. Yeah, that went on for several blocks. But if that had gone on for hundreds of miles, you would have some real issues. Um, and here's what happened sort of with the rest of the story at Katera. In 2019, Katera closed its Phoenix factory. Last spring, Katera's board of directors voted to fire Michael Marks. And Katera's new management team found even more losses. And the company even explored bankruptcy. It was rescued by a $200 million financing from SoftBank, but at a drastically reduced valuation. Katera continues to try to reduce its losses and hopes a new California factory improves things, but it has a steep uphill climb. So are there other Kateras out there, Corey? There are other recent smaller failures. Uh, so Andy Ball, the longtime construction executive you heard earlier, he worked at Rad Urban, a modular housing startup trying to make factory-built housing a reality as well. That company lost a key investor and had to sell itself. This, this will be the, uh, the rock upon which people continue to uh, throw themselves and bloody themselves for, for years and years and years to come. In general, Andy blames the added layers of red tape and restrictive zoning and building codes and bureaucracy, which have all created the industry's productivity problems over the years, not just a lack of technical innovation. Another person who raised this point with me was Darren Bechtel. He's the grandson of Stephen Bechtel Jr., who died this week at the age of 95 and ran the famed engineering and construction firm named after his family. The studies you've seen talk about the change in productivity or improvement in productivity. And construction's been very productive for a very long time. You look at the Empire State Building and how quickly that went up. I mean, right. But now you look, but now you think like people use that example as like that would never happen today because of the red tape and all that. Exactly. Uh, Some of that is important to have if you look at the overall safety record of the construction industry. While you know, we're not building the Empire State Building as quick as we did. People are, are closer to getting to zero accidents. Um, and so some of that is good. Um, you know, the, the sole driving factor is not productivity, but we, we do need to figure out how to be more productive because there's um, a lot of low hanging fruit um, that could be sort of addressed um, with basic purpose-built tools. Darren now runs one of the other construction-focused venture capital firms called Brick and Mortar Ventures. So he is trying to find this low-hanging fruit and these basic tools every day. So are there any other companies trying to change the construction industry, maybe with a little less drama? There have been. The ones with significant adoption and financial success so far are essentially enterprise software tools. 
Uh, Procore is a startup that builds software tools. It's not sexy exactly, but it's a construction management platform that lets companies track a project's bids, schedules, labor, and financials. Any others out there? Yeah, Darren Bechtel had invested early in software companies like PlanGrid, which came out of the famous Y Combinator accelerator and sold to Autodesk for $895 million a couple years ago. It was a big exit and PlanGrid digitized construction drawings. So now you see a lot of iPads on construction sites. And then there are some other companies involved in the automation of labor, like another brick and mortar venture portfolio company called Canvas. It automates drywall finishing. So ideas like that are all about reducing the amount of labor from a construction project, which can be about half of the cost of a project. You know, some people wonder, is there, um, are we moving towards a humanless job site? I don't believe so. I think we will have fewer people and those people will become superheroes of sorts um, where they're able to see through walls um, or pull up the information um, uh, and compare the current as-built environment with the plan. So where does that leave big, bold ideas like Kateras? So there's still some of that out there, um, including companies that are doing 3D printed houses. There are other prefab or modular startups. And there are startups building mini homes in backyards called accessory dwelling units. And some of these companies are slowly making progress. And Founders Fund, Andreessen Horowitz, even Google have invested in some of these companies. But they're small so far. They haven't raised gobs of money or had a financial exit yet. And that might be okay. That's why Katera suffered, basically. So it seems to me that there is also a bigger question, which is, is construction an industry that venture capital should even be interested in from a financial standpoint? Who finances the future innovation here? Yeah, I think that's a good question. One person who was skeptical about that was Carol Galante. She is a UC Berkeley professor who used to work for the federal government and ran affordable housing development company Bridge Housing. She sees a lot of construction startups up close these days. And you don't see the immediate gains in productivity overnight. And so it really does take a longer term view uh, than, frankly, most VC capital has any patience for. So I think that's the that's the big challenge. You need capital that understands this is not going to, we're not going to create all the innovation we need to optimize industrialized construction, you know, in a year. But in other ways, Carol's an optimist. She thinks change is coming to construction, mostly because of the great need for housing affordability in the U.S., she advises a similar company to Katera called Factory OS, which is based in the Bay Area, and it's building modular apartments in a factory in Vallejo, California, but without venture capital. But housing affordability isn't just a tech problem, she says. That isn't even most of it. It's about policy. It's about how quickly governments approve new housing. It's about the system of financiers and architects and construction firms that can improve coordination and actually embrace change. All of this really needs to, you know, work in concert to, you know, truly make a difference. That is today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Corey Weinberg, Wendy Pollock, Ariela Markowitz for producing. This is Tom Dotan signing off for 
maybe the last time. Hope you guys all have a great weekend. See you back here next week.